0: Y'all need Satan. Welcome to Tencent Takes, the podcast where we cringe at cursed comics, one issue at a time. My name is Mike Thompson, and I am joined by my co-host, the taskmaster of trivia herself, Jessica Frazier.
1: Ooh, it is I.
0: How are you doing tonight?
1: Oh, pretty good. How are you? Uh,
0: you know, I I can't complain. The week is coming to an end, so it's something I'm looking forward to is this weekend and just chill it out.
1: Thank goodness. Yes, my BFF is in town, so that's, I'm very excited. She lives in Maine, so it's like very, very exciting that she is here. She's from around here, but just like visiting right now. So I'm, yes, very excited.
0: That's rad. If you're new to the show, the purpose of this podcast is to study comic books in ways that are both fun and informative, hopefully. What we like to do is we like to look at some of the weirdest, strangest, silliest, or coolest moments in comic books and then talk about how they are woven into the larger fabric of pop culture and history. Today, we are going to be looking at The New Guardians, one of DC's stranger and more interesting maxi-series that they produced from the 1980s.
1: I'm vigorously shaking my head. (laughs) As you were saying that, I'm just like, here we go.
0: (laughs) That was not a face that said, my body is ready.
1: No, it's... It's not ready. Like, I mean, there's no lie.
0: (laughs) I don't know if anybody can truly be ready to talk about the new Guardians.
1: Like, Are we going to have to put some sort of a warning? We're absolutely going to have to put a warning on this episode. Like, (laughs) if you have little ears, please, I don't care what other episode, like, we throw the F-bomb around. If that's your thing, that's fine. Most episodes are probably okay for that. But this one, please put the little ears away.
0: (laughs) We're going to have to do an extra swearing warning, is what you're saying?
1: Yeah, like, well, almost a content warning. I mean, we're getting into some some heavy content this this episode.
0: All right, before we do that, though, we should talk about one cool thing that we have read or watched recently. So why don't you take it away?
1: So, knowing full well that I'm very behind in my media consumption, I watched the first episode of Star Wars as The Bad Batch. Ah.
0: Oh, nice. Yeah, that looks like a really cool show. It's really
1: good. Yes. Okay. I really, really liked it. The first episode was legit almost movie length. It's 70 minutes long. Wow. Yeah. And I wasn't really expecting that. So I was as I was watching it, I'm like, how long have I been watching this show? Like, I mean, it was really good. I was involved in everything, but at one point I was just like, How long has this been? Yeah. And I I did the little button and I was like, oh, that makes sense. So it just was kind of wild. Yeah. I love how the show is recreating the bits that we don't get to see about the rise of the empire and what that looked like from the inside of like the empire itself which is so fascinating. And the computer animation is really neat. The 3D appearance gives it like some realism and depth.
0: Yeah, and from what I've seen it's that animation style that they kind of started with. 15 years ago with the Clone Wars series that's kind of continued on, right? Yeah. I, I've i only watched a little of that, but that stuff has gotten so cool with all the different things that they've done with it.
1: It really has. So yeah, I'm excited. I'm going to watch some more of that one. And what about you? What are you checking out?
0: Well, Sarah and I watched The Suicide Squad last weekend, and we really enjoyed it, but I want to talk about that later on. I started reading a new comic series that I picked up at Brian's Comics in Petaluma over the weekend. It's called Noctera, and it's from Image Comics. It's written by Scott Snyder, and it's illustrated by Tony S. Daniel, and it, it gives me similar vibes to Undiscovered Country, which is another series from Image and Snyder himself. I'm only one issue in, but the core concept is that it's this post-apocalyptic world a couple of decades after something called The Big PM, and basically that is permanent night settled over everything and all of these spooky monsters that they they spiritually feel a little bit like the xenomorphs from aliens but they don't look like them they reside in the darkness and they can only be kept at bay with bright lights the comic is following Val who was a young girl when the big pm hit and she has since become a ferryman which is she's basically a big rig trucker but she's transporting cargo and that can be people or it can be other things between the different outposts of humanity and The first issue sees her getting hired by this mysterious guy who is all of a sudden, he shows her that he is sporting a fresh sunburn. And that's kind of where it's going from there. It's interesting. I'm really curious to see where it goes. So, yeah, I'm going to head back up to the shop and pick up the other issues that they have.
1: Very fun.
0: Yeah. All right, are you ready to actually do this?
1: Yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> there was pain in my voice, but we're here. You gave me an out earlier to be totally riff, to be totally fair.
0: <laughs> okay, so this episode is happening because you were the one who sent me a TikTok from Nikhil Clayton. First of all, he is absolutely delightful, and he has a series called What the Fuck Comics. And this particular video was focused on a character called Hemogoblin who is literally a white supremacist AIDS vampire. <laughs> I feel like we need to play this so that our listeners can, can hear the delightful summary of how batshit this character was.
2: Oh my gosh. Yeah. Goodness gracious. Hello and welcome back to What the Fuck Comics, the show where we discuss old plot lines and characters and ask the ever-important question, What the fuck? It's a good news person right now. This little monstrosity behind me is the hemogoblin. He was a DC character from the 1980s, and if his name gives you a bad feeling about where we're going with this, you're probably right. He was the creation of a white supremacist group with the <laughs> ultimate goal of getting rid of all non-white people. How? The same way Reagan was going to do it. With the fucking AIDS epidemic. Yeah, this guy is uh, an AIDS vampire. He's got all the classic vampire powers, but with the slight exception that when he bites you, you don't become a vampire, you just get AIDS. (laughs) And I stress again that he debuted in the 1980s. This was DC's attempt at being topical. Now, thankfully, he was only in a handful of issues, so he didn't have a very big effect on anything. Uh, Wait, what's that? Sorry, never mind. He killed someone. Specifically this guy, (laughs) Extranio. (laughs) Extranio was a wizard superhero, whose name may or may not have translated directly to strange, who also just happened to be openly gay. And yes, after a fight with the Hemogoblin, he contracted AIDS and eventually died. And what happened to everyone's favorite personification of mocking tragedy? He also died. Of AIDS. Because what else was going to happen? DC, what the fuck? Yeah.
0: Yeah. You sent me that video. (laughs) Yeah, I did. What was your initial reaction to it when you first saw it? I'm curious.
1: At first I thought, okay, in no way can this be real but we all know how awful people are. I, I was mouth agape, in shock, honestly, and I did I did immediately think of you. I sent it to you within a minute of seeing it. <laughs> because I was like, fuck, do you know about this?
0: <laughs> this is the pinnacle of our friendship is that, <laughs> <laughs> that you saw something that terrible and you sent it to me. Oh. But yeah, because as soon as you sent this to me I was like, fuck, do I know about this? I wrote about it and I got really excited to tell you all about the new guardians and Hemogoblin <laughs> and everything else terrible about comics.
1: Oh. So yes, everyone, I did. I opened this can of worms. So I, you're yeah. either I'm sorry or you're welcome. I, however, you're taking this.
0: It's a little <laughs> bit of both. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I was so excited at the idea of talking about how completely batshit this entire thing is. So,
1: <laughs> oh well, let's, okay. let's plow on. This is something.
0: <laughs> yeah, Hemogoblin. Appeared in a comic series from the late 80s called The New Guardians. But in order to talk about The New Guardians, we needed to actually take a step back and talk about Millennium, which was this giant DC crossover comic event that the team spun out of. So Millennium took place in early 1988, and it was the company's third crossover. Before that, they had Crisis on Infinite Earths and Legends. And you and I have talked about Crisis briefly in the past. We noted about how it was this giant crossover thing that streamlined DC's rather convoluted comics timeline. And it created something coherent that wove together not only classic comic characters like the Justice Society and the Charleston comic characters that DC had recently acquired, like Blue Beetle and The Question and Peacemaker, who is now in the DCEU as part of the Suicide Squad. But it also, it made all those characters a coherent part of the timeline with the modern DC characters, like the Justice League and Superman and Batman, et cetera, et cetera. Crisis is still this like widely acclaimed storyline. A lot of critics and readers still feel that it is arguably the best crossover ever. I've read it. I like it a lot. I think it's groundbreaking for what it did, and and as a result, I think it deserves a special place in comics history. Legends in (laughs) term was... (laughs) Legends was fine. It's passable. (laughs) I've reread it several times, and I always forget the main story except for a couple of random plot points including that that was what introduced us to the suicide squad and then after that we got millennium millennium was written by steve englehart and he's this pretty prolific comics writer who has been in the industry for a while i think he might be retired at this point from the 70s through the 90s he was pretty prolific He bounced back and forth a lot between Marvel and DC during the 70s and 80s, but the the 70s is arguably when he did his best work. He wrote a really well-known run on Doctor Strange for a couple of years, from 74 to 76, and then he also co-created Shang-Chi with Jim Starlin in 1973, which we're about to get a movie of. Um, It also sounds like he did a lot of drugs. During the same period, and he's talked about it pretty openly. There's this collection of interviews and essays from across the industry called Comics Between the Panels, and he gave us this amazing quote.
1: Oh, goodness. We'd rampage around New York City. There was one night when a bunch of us, including Jim Starlin, went out on the town. We partied all day, then did some more acid, then roamed around town until dawn and saw all sorts of amazing things, most of which ended up in Master of Kung Fu, which Jim and I were doing at the time.
0: Yeah, and Master of Kung Fu is what (laughs) Shang-Chi's original series was called. Got it. Oh, wow. This little quote has absolutely nothing to do with our overall discussion, but it's such a wonderful, weird little detail about the guy that I felt we had to include it.
1: It gives me a really good idea of why this was his... Drug addled as it was. (laughs) Well, there were other reasons.
0: (laughs) I'm going to show you the cover of Millennium's first issue, and I'd like for you to paint us a word picture.
1: All right. So, in red with yellow behind it, it says Millennium Week One Millennium DC 75 cents. And then it has all of the DC superheroes, kind of like that portrait in the shining (laughs) like they're all kind of stacked up back there and they're looking at something it's called the arrival at the bottom so my guess is they're looking at aliens which is such a hot topic every dc superhero that i can recall is in this picture
0: it is a veritable who's who of dc characters yeah but i mean they all they look horrified
1: They do. They look horrified. It's all in gray tone with a little bit of green splashed on it.
0: Yeah, it promises something that it doesn't really deliver on. Millennium was... It was interesting because they basically were dropping every issue of the core series, I believe, every week. So that's how you were getting week one, week two, week three, because the core series ran for two months. But it also features this really complicated plot. So the arrival that is advertised on the cover basically occurs when a guardian of the universe the guys who run the green lanterns named and i'm not making this up harupa hondo who all ages starting and then the female equivalent of the guardians which i believe they are responsible for the star sapphires which are the pink color the pink equivalent and they're all about love because the green lantern at this point they've established that there are, are different rings for each color of the emotional spectrum. The Zamoran girlfriend is Nadia Safir. Harupa and Nadia are on this quest to unlock the super potential of 10 people on Earth who they deem the Chosen. They say that these people will become immortal and they're going to guide humanity into its next stage of evolution, but they're really vague about all of that. Essentially, these people are destined to become the next group of the Guardians and kind of take over running the universe since the Guardians and their girlfriends have decided to kind of peace out to another part of the universe and then enjoy some debatably well-earned retirement after a few billion years of running things.
1: (laughs) This is your problem now.
0: Yeah, exactly. Harupa and Nadia show up to all of these superheroes and then announce their mission, and then they do it in a way that's not even remotely dramatic. Basically, they show up, They tell the heroes what's going on, and then the heroes agree to help find and protect the Chosen. And everyone starts making plans to do so. And then meanwhile, this plan is opposed by a group of robots that are known as the Manhunters. The Manhunters were the original version of the Green Lantern Corps. They were the beta test. They basically doled out justice for about half a billion years, and then they went insane, and then the Guardians replaced them with the Green Lantern Corps. I think part of the established insanity honestly just involves nursing a grudge for three billion years because that's how long they've been around and they like to hang out and just basically sulk on their hidden planet which is apparently undetectable and then ruin the guardians plans whenever they can obviously they decide to wreck harupa's plans because they're still pissed off and they have a bunch of double agents on earth who are androids or mind-controlled people or traitors who help attack the heroes and basically try to kill the Chosen.
1: Wow, that's like a new level. Like, that's next level petty.
0: I mean, they're... (laughs) (laughs) They're an entire robot race of that shitty dude who can't get over the fact that his ex has moved on and is dating somebody else.
1: Oh no. We've all met that guy. Yeah. Oh... If you haven't met that guy, you are that
0: guy. I hate to tell you. <laughs> yeah, right. So, the Guardian shitty robot X's wind up being a little successful. There were originally going to be ten chosen, but by the end of the series, only six are actually still around to receive their powers because it takes a while before they're granted their specialness. One of them was senile when the series began. There's another guy named Jan-William Krof. I think that's how you say his name. It's... Afrikaans so I'm sure I'm butchering it he gets kicked out because he's such a racist asshole from apartheid South Africa that nobody wants anything to do with him and then I think two of them are murdered over the course of the story but we don't see it in the core series because there's like 30 tie-in issues and I haven't read them all because I have shit to do (laughs) but yeah the final roster of the new guardians includes Jet who is a Jamaican woman who, when we meet her, is living in fascist Britain, which I think is just Margaret Thatcher's England. I've never heard it referred to as fascist England. That was a new one. Also, she has a written accent that I'm going to call comically offensive.
1: It is so... It is... I uh, Yes, that is a great description of what that is. Yeah. That's how I felt about it as well.
0: We also get Ram, who is a Japanese businessman, who then becomes a walking computer and can talk to electronics. Gloss is this woman from the People's Republic of China who can suddenly command dragon lines while showing this insane amount of cleavage, and she keeps on flirting with Ram 2. It's really weird and creepy. Betty Clawman, she was an Aboriginal who eventually wound up living in the dream time. She's not really a presence in the New Guardians, but she's still officially a member. There's extranyo who was noted in that TikTok video who is a Peruvian gay man who develops magical abilities. Extrano is an interesting case because at this point in time, the Comics Code Authority would not actually allow publishers to acknowledge his sexuality. But this dude is so flamboyant, he insists on being called anti. And when the Guardian first shows up to announce that he is one of the Chosen, he kind of flirts with him. (laughs) So... Yeah.
1: There's also that part where they're talking about sex and God, I don't know why they would be having such an overt conversation about sex. But Harbinger yeah. says something about, oh, would you want to go have sex? He's like, not with you, honey, or something like that. Something to you that know, effect. To that yeah. Effect. And it was like, OK.
0: Yeah. No, he's very flamboyant. Like there is. I mean, <laughs> come on, yeah. guys, you're not fooling anyone
1: like, points his toe out in a lot of the comics, like, in a, yeah. in a way that they only draw females doing. Like, oh, yeah. a lot of the way they have him standing is very feminine, which is interesting.
0: Not always. His outfit originally, it's almost like a unisex series of magical robes where you could mm-hmm. see it on either a male or a female character. And then his hair is very flamboyant, too. He has, in a lot of ways, very effeminate features which then changes later on when they give him that costume change. And we'll talk about that later on, but you know, he's this kind of nebbish little guy and he's very flamboyant. And if you grew up in the Bay area, you know, a lot of people like that. So the final one of the chosen, if I remember right, is Tom Kalmaku. He's one of Hal Jordan, the green lanterns friends. He's a mechanic for Ferris air. He's been around since the sixties. And Eventually, it's revealed that he has the power to bring out the best in people, but it's really vaguely defined, and we don't really know what it means. And then he winds up declining to go with the team because he doesn't want to put his family at risk, but he's still a part of the New Guardians storyline overall. And then after that, they were joined by a longtime villain called the Floronic Man, who he's got a bunch of powers over nature. And then Harbinger, who was one of the main characters during Crisis on Infinite Earths, and she's been kicking around the DC Universe afterwards but she wound up being another main character during the millennium storyline. So that is the TLDR summary, which is already too long, but whatever. (laughs) But now we can actually talk about the new guardian series. Like how would you describe the series? If you had to sell it to someone with an elevator pitch, like what would you say?
1: Overall, The new Guardians have been chosen to be Earth's protectors. They are from around the world, with the obvious idea that there is a global participation and representation. Their main arc is against a white supremacist who is causing all of the destruction seen in the comics due to his desire to rid the world of all other races. They are basically world social justice warriors who take a very active role in change.
0: First of all, that's a very succinct summary of that comic. The series was originally written by Hart, he was continuing on, and it was drawn by veteran artist Joe Statton. Carrie Bates took over writing duties with Issue 2, and Pat Broderick, who is the guy who created Tim Drake, aka Robin No. 3, eventually finished out the series as its penciler. Here's the funny thing. The series isn't really all that well-known or remembered by the general public, but it's kind of notorious within the comics industry and among certain collectors because its villains were so fucking bonkers like in the first two issues we get chemo goblin who is a vampire that he's sort of a vampire he looks like count orloff from nosferatu he's got the same face and everything but he was created in a lab by Jan william kroff's scientists like Jan william kroff is apparently just I don't know exactly how he has access to all the super doomsday science, but somehow he does. And So the vampire winds up coming to the United States, ends up attacking the group in a dance club, if I remember right, or no, right outside a dance club. That's what happened. Mm -hmm. And then he bites Jet, who is, I have to state this, one of the first black superheroines in DC comics history and also attacks Extraño. And I don't think he bites him, but he scratches him, yes. but he gives both of those characters HIV. Mm-hmm. And then he winds up dying because his system burns itself out. Thanks to his accelerated form of AIDS that he has and Harbinger. It's weird. They don't quite explain how, but she's almost like cosmically sympathetic to Jet's being, and so she winds up developing the same wound as Jet and then also developing HIV, but that goes away. Yeah, they had away. some
1: symbiotic link. It was very strange.
0: Yeah, symbiotic, that's the word I was looking for. It's very weird, um, yeah. and it's, it's not really explained.
1: No. For a comic, for a comic <laughs> series with so much
0: exposition, there's a lot that is not well explained or defined.
1: <sighs> there's one point where... They're obviously making fun of their own exposition, and they're like, hey, I know this is a lot to listen to. I oh, appreciate I you being... I was like, oh, gosh. Yeah, don't you know
2: it?
0: <laughs> yeah. Hemagoblin winds up dying from AIDS, because, of course, he fucking does. And, and then the next issue whisks us off to Columbia, where we get to meet Snowflame, who... I love Snowflame. How how would you describe him? I'm curious.
1: Oh man. Well, just you wait, because I have <laughs> <laughs> So I mean he's basically just a really coked up weightlifter. Fair. Yeah. Apparently it has something to do with the power of cocaine, heavy quotes, coursing through him. That gives him his powers, question mark? I have to read this description of himself because it is just something. And he says this at one point during the comic.
0: Yeah. And he he is also a pyrokinetic, we should note. So this quote has like (laughs) extra weight to it.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Every cell of my being burns with the white hot ecstasy. Cocaine is my god and I am the instrument of its will. And he has all these coked up people that are basically just zombies doing his will. But, like, nowhere does it say why he's the instrument of drugs and not his fellows. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe he was the only one that could afford to buy a fancy spandex suit and spend all of his time getting yoked. Maybe that's it. They're like, oh, yeah, this guy. Yeah. (laughs) This guy with privilege. Pick him.
0: Well, and he, (laughs) like... he like really beats the shit out of the new guardians too. And then he gets randomly thrown into a shed with a bunch of chemicals and then it explodes. And that's how you get him. It.
1: (laughs) Yeah. He died in what was basically a drug shed explosion.
0: Yeah. I'm okay. I'm sorry, but if this was a horror movie and the monster died that way, it would just be like, okay, so we're obviously going to have the guy come back in the next movie. And I was waiting for that, but we never get him back again.
1: I was waiting for that also. I was waiting for that, like Ninja Turtles, like, here comes Shredder with his hand out of like the rubble.
0: (laughs) Nope.
1: Oh my gosh. So, what did you think of that guy's like Fabio white hair? That was like a point of pride, but you know it had to take some constant maintenance. So,
0: I, well, I mean, he had that much cocaine. What if he just sat there and used that as his like dry shampoo?
1: Oh, Oh, that's, that's awful, because the, ah, yeah, that's awful. (laughs) That's awful. It's really funny, too, because it's like, they're mixing up their drugs if they think that coke is going to cause super strength and agility. Like, what they should have had was a coked-up guy that just talked really fast and wanted to party and have a bunch of sex, and, like, that was his superpower. Right. Like, that's... (laughs) that's what i've always seen portrayed in the movies and shit people don't get really strong that's pcp when somebody's really crazy on like pcp or something that's always been what i've heard Mm -hmm. but like that's always in very rare instances when somebody goes off the handle or something yeah and you hear about that but it was so ridiculous i mean you could literally smell the war on drugs undertones they were
0: palpable. Oh, yeah.
1: I could taste them. <laughs>
0: Reagan? <laughs> Papa Reagan, is that you?
1: <laughs> yeah, Are you listening? I am. <laughs> oh, I mean, all in all, he was certainly memorable. <laughs> I mean, maybe not for the right reasons.
0: <laughs> all right, well, I'm going to break this to you. Snowflame is actually, like, infamous in comic book history. Like, I I was looking up his first appearance today, just to to see what stores are selling that issue for.
1: I'm sorry. His You mean like in this issue? Was he in more than just this?
0: No. As far as I know, that's his only issue.
1: Oh, God, you scared me. I was like...
0: (laughs) No. So, (laughs) but yeah, like, it's funny because people still talk about that one villain. They don't talk about the new Guardians, but they will talk about Snowflame because they, I think they find it charming, basically, that, you know, just how ridiculous the villain is but his first appearance like is going for 50 to 75 bucks at a lot of stores these days. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I think I think the fact that his powers are fueled by cocaine is just it's kind of <laughs> charming. Honestly, like people just sit there and like, oh, that's cute. If only we knew then what we know now.
1: Right.
0: Like I don't know if you got told this growing up, but but I was part of that dare generation.
1: Absolutely. Cops in the classroom and everything, which, no, don't do that.
0: And I remember every time the cops came to, to DARE and they were telling us about all the drugs, they would tell us cocaine is the worst drug out there. Which, lol. Yeah. Like, I could not help but think of that when I was reading this issue. And I mean, I guess it makes sense. Cocaine was pretty prevalent during the 80s, and crack cocaine was really starting to become this huge epidemic in cities across the country by the end of the decade. But, you know, cocaine was the drug that white people knew better, so it got focused on a lot in media, like, you know, in TV shows, in comics and movies, all that stuff. And then, even though Snowflame died and never came back, apparently, the issue after also deals with cocaine because, like, the villains are, (sighs) they're like a gang of child soldiers in L.A. And they're...
1: (laughs) I'm throwing my hands up because I don't even know.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because they're referred to as kids at one point, but, like, some of them have a lot of facial hair, and it's very weird. And they stage an attack on the New Guardians' bungalow hotel that they're staying at cuz i guess being the chosen of humanity doesn't pay enough to afford an avengers tower and but this gang is also paid in cocaine by snowflames people
1: it is implied that they're children but it's like come on yeah you're, you're but, not going to be overtaken by like a gang of children like this is this is not the newsies like you're fine no but
0: the other thing is like you know in the 80s that was really again part of the whole gang panic was the 80s and yeah. 90s Like, you know, that was a huge thing where news media at the time was just painting teenage gangs out to be the scourge of the country.
1: Yeah. Well, and they've got both the gang aspect and the drug aspect that they're like, oh, watch out, everyone. Don't want your kids involved in this.
0: Yeah, they were really beating that (laughs) horse well past the point of being dead.
1: God, it was so, it was so obvious. My cheeks hurt a little bit because it really smacked me.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) well those first three issues are really kind of the most fun i felt because after that the series just kind of limps along jet keeps getting weaker and weaker due to the virus progressing from hiv to aids because i don't know chemo goblin had some accelerated form of it or something and then she eventually dies when she sacrifices herself helping fight off an alien invasion she sacrifices herself. Because she ran out of energy because she had AIDS.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and then it's not lost on me that they choose the one woman of color and yeah. the gay dude to yep. both get AIDS out of everyone, or HIV at the very least.
0: Yeah. It is a we'll we'll talk about that later on, but it's not great. After this point, Jan William crowe becomes more and more of the central villain as the story progresses. Eventually, he has his plan revealed, and it's kind of weird. It's like to make white supremacy go global, which, I mean, first of all, it was already global, but he's basically trying to turn it up to 11. And the comic is not at all subtle for drawing parallels between him and Nazis. And then, I mean, it's just it's so over the top that you almost hit that point where you feel like you're disconnecting from it because it's just beating you over the head with this message for the last few issues he's running around and he's got a military uniform with a black armband and he's throwing up his hand while he's talking and you know speaking about the inferior races and how he's going to unite the world under his banner of hatred it's uh
1: oh yeah he does a whole like you know leader speech propaganda situation i mean it's it was really heavy-handed
0: Yeah, and then he does the thing where he kidnaps Tom Kalmaku's girlfriend, and then she's pregnant, and he wants to surgically experiment on her unborn child, but it's very nonsense, and nothing really comes from it, other than eventually he gets a hold of Tom, and then thinks that he killed him by throwing him into a pit of minorities that he's surgically experimented on or something and turned them all into cannibal mutants.
1: But, like, can we talk about how fucking macabre that whole fucking situation was? With, like... (sighs) The fucking, like, they were talking about dissecting fetuses and stuff. It was fucking wild. Yeah. I mean, they had a fetus that was hooked up to stuff, like, in a thing when he was in, like, having a dream. And it was just, like, it was ins- It was a lot.
0: It was really a lot. You... But at the same time, it was kind of boring. Like, it was really gruesome and horrifying in concept. But then when they put it on the page, yeah. it, was, it was all delivered with so much exposition. And it wasn't actually... Moving in any way. Like, I was just, no, it
1: wasn't. It wasn't, but I guess it was just, it was shocking to me that that was where they were going with it. You know what I mean? That, yeah, that it just was a lot. And for me, I could kind of tell that it was written by men.
0: Oh, yeah, totally.
1: It's just, that was just something that I wasn't really expecting, to be honest with you.
0: Yeah. And I had forgotten about it up until the point where I was rereading these issues. I don't have the sales data on the series. I get the impression that this was a series that was not doing well sales-wise. And mm-hmm. the writers were just trying to do what they could to get people to pay attention to it. And I don't know if that's the case. It's just it's a feeling that I get in my gut. I could be way off.
2: The
1: vibe, I hear. The
0: other thing is like aside from being really kind of gross and horrifying, this whole plot about Crofe and what he's trying to do. It just, it's kind of nonsense. It doesn't make sense. That's the only way I can describe it. Like, I don't know. He wanted to figure out how Tom got powers or something like that. And so he was going to experiment on the baby, but then the baby was totally normal. And so he just decided to blow up his mountain base and then throw Tom into a pit to get eaten by mutants. But then Tom developed his own superpowers at the same time that Kroff was developing his and Kroff is Lighten all about like fucking
1: superpowers. Oh, it's Jesus. dumb.
0: But yeah. And crow winds up developing superpowers to basically bring out hatred in other people and also make them serve him while Tom Which becomes. Also yeah.
1: Unexplained.
0: Yeah. And then Tom is basically Jesus and Buddha combined. He has that aforementioned, like bring out the best ability, where he just kind of sits and meditates and then appears to people in visions and can literally hand wave away anything that he wants to. It's, (laughs) you know, viewing this through a modern lens, I'm like, oh, so he was that Be Best campaign by Melania Trump just made manifest.
1: Yes, yes, yes.
0: It sounds simultaneously wholesome and absolutely incomprehensible. (laughs) I don't know how else to describe it, but yeah. And basically... Tom saves the day at the very end of the series. He rescues the new Guardians from Krov, who was like mind controlling them or something. And then halfway through they also gave Extranio a much more masculine costume and he was suddenly jacked and he ran around with a crystal skull which he would use for magic. Again, not well explained, whatever.
1: <sighs> yep. I it was what I it felt like he got more jacked and I was wondering about it. Oh
0: that. no, he 100% started to hit the gym and take his creatine.
1: I was like did the skull contain protein powder? I <laughs> He was actually at a GNC <laughs> this whole time.
0: <laughs> well, you know, he had a side hustle. Because <laughs> superheroing doesn't pay the bills.
1: Oh, no. Has he gotten involved in a multi-level marketing scheme? Do we need to save him from that now?
0: Uh, y- yeah, probably Beachbody. <laughs>
1: It works for me.
2: Ugh. <laughs> if
0: you become my downline, I can get you shredded and casting spells too. <laughs> yeah, and oh. you know it's it's funny because all of the new Guardians' powers are really vague, and. <laughs> You know, yeah.
2: <laughs> it's
0: funny because Estranio, when he was first announced, he's like, I'm a witch because that's, that was his thing. And I'm like, okay, cool. So you're a magic user. His magic is really, it's not well explained what he can and can't do. It seems like half the time he's just casting illusions and then, you know, suddenly he's able to generate a force field and levitate everybody around and eh, whatever. Okay. Fine. He's
1: basically the plug for the leaks yes. in the team.
0: Yeah, whatever just they might be. Just fill
1: in that void, yep.
0: <laughs> what was your overall impression of this series?
1: It went from goofy to intense to it just was like, you know, we already talked about the fetus dissection conversations. Obviously, I got stuck on that. Yeah. Because holy shit, that was extreme. But, okay, so I did like that there were a balanced amount of women. Mm -hmm. And that there was a global representation, which was definitely something I had been whining about in our last episode, so thank you. Yeah. (laughs) But the women just had absolutely nothing on. No. You know, Gloss's outfit literally cut down to her pelvic bone. I mean, there was literally like two, it was two inches from her cooch.
0: Do you remember that dress that J-Lo wore to the Oscars like 25 years ago that was super scandalous at the time.
1: I know the one. Yes. Yeah,
0: no, it's the superhero equivalent of that Oscar's dress.
1: It sure is. Yeah, like how are you even supposed to fight when you think you're going to slip a nip or sneak a cheek? I like don't know. really, how? This is a prime example of those types of comics where they look like they were drawn by a 12-year-old boy.
0: Oh yeah, 100%. And it's funny because if I remember right in Millennium because she's part of the people's republic they're all wearing like the same kind of like very nondescript kind of burlap sack style clothing that i mean also problematic in its own way but it's just it was really <laughs> interesting to see her go from a very kind of almost asexual character to being this horned up asian woman stereotype
1: yeah it was really intense yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah. I mean, there were at the very beginning a few times where I was like, oh, what's gonna happen next issue? But it did like it dwindled, mm-hmm. you know, like you said towards the end. And it just got really manic and crazy and just yeah. like felt like a drug-induced fever dream.
0: Yeah, it <laughs> I found myself comparing it to US One, the the series that we did a couple of episodes ago. Yeah. Where that was another batshit series, but it was fun and I never found myself Really getting frustrated with it because it never felt boring. And this one, I got bored a lot.
1: It was a little bit of a slog.
0: But I mean, especially when characters, either the villains or the heroes, were sitting there and recapping their backstory for like the 10th time, you know, it, I just don't care. Like, come on, guys, you've already got me. You really think that the person reading issue number nine is not going to know what's going on? Come on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I got to agree with you. You know, you have to give the series a little bit of credit because the New Guardians was a diverse team and they had some interesting abilities, but everything about it just felt really cringy, for lack of a better word. It's like somebody took a list of the current social issues at the time and they just, like, focus grouped the hell out of them. And then they created a superhero comic around it And, like, I don't know, you can tell its heart is in the right place, but everything about the comic itself just gets more and more painful. It's kind of akin to watching someone trying to be especially woke, but you're sitting there kind of, like, really hoping that they're going to rein in their efforts by about 50% by the (laughs) end of it. Yeah. Like, I mean, even the villains are topical. Like, the three that we talked about, we've got... Jan-William Krof, who was part of the apartheid government in South Africa. And this was in 1988, which is right when the apartheid was really getting put under the international media's microscope. But basically, the series was running right before Nelson Mandela got released from jail. And then we already talked about Snowflame and how he was relevant to the time. And then Hema Goblin was topical because the AIDS crisis was really starting to take off in America at this point in time as well. But, yeah, it's a a cringy read.
1: Yeah, I've just been shaking my head this whole time. The (laughs) listeners can't hear that, but just know what's happening. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Yeah, you know, and it's funny because DC doesn't really talk about the New Guardians or the crossover they originated from that much. Like, they acknowledge Millennium happened... They actually collected it into a graphic novel a few years ago, but it's only those core eight issues and it really doesn't make a lot of sense because in between each issue, there is all this very crucial stuff that happens. And so those core eight issues are almost like the recaps and the setup for what's going to happen next. So it's, you know, it's still technically canon in terms of DC lore, but it's not really discussed in polite company. And I mean, case in point, Tom Kalmaku is, I think, still around in the DC Universe. Really? He's a longtime cast member of the Green Lantern comics. I know I read a couple of issues that had him show up in, I want to say 2010. It might have been a little bit earlier than that. But I know that his character was even in that Ryan Reynolds Green Lantern movie.
1: Oh, you know what? No, you're right. You are right.
0: But his powers, as far as I know, are never mentioned again. Like, they just kind of are like, no, that didn't really happen. <laughs> like, we don't we don't talk about that. And then, you know, it's the same with the New Guardians. They occasionally pop up individually, but they never really get the band together. I think they were still a team in Green Lantern comics, but then there was a villain named Entropy who wound up attacking the headquarters that they were operating out of because they were hanging out in the Green Lantern headquarters on Earth. And then it was assumed that they all died. So that TikTok video was saying that Extranio died from HIV. He might have, but as far as I know, what happened was everybody assumed that he died during that attack, and he still had HIV. But I don't know at that point. I'm not as familiar with the Green Lantern storylines from that era. Jet somehow reappeared as the leader of the Global Guardians. Extranio had a recent cameo in Midnighter, and he was a supporting character, and he actually was like, much more normcore this time around, but he was actually openly gay this time around, which was kind of cool. Oh, good. Yeah, and then, other than that, like, most of the new Guardians spend a lot of time dying. So yeah, as I mentioned, the entire team was absorbed and presumably killed by the supervillain Entropy before Flashpoint rebooted the DC universe. Gloss was hanging out with Jet for a short while, but then she got killed by the villain Prometheus. Like, she got decapitated. There's, like whoa yeah it is not subtle and then ram was again it was one of those cameo things but he was shown in passing as a victim of this villain's super powered death matches where it was like a super powered fight club kind of thing and and it was shown that he had died i think but yeah so yeah that is the new guardians (laughs) and they're they're wild ride right across the DC universe.
1: Wow, I'm gonna I'm gonna put on a face mask after this. I'm gonna <laughs> soak my feet, decompress. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, and as far as I know, there's no collected version of this Maxi series. Like so, you know, basically you have to buy the individual issues. At least what I've seen, which I mean, Somehow I own, I think I found the entire series as like a bundle at, you know, at one of the local comic shops and they were just like, whatever, like 12 bucks, get out.
1: (laughs) Please take these and leave.
0: (laughs) We will pay you to take it out.
1: Oh God, it's like when stores want you to take cursed items home. Yeah. like, we just don't want this in our possession any longer.
0: Yeah, but I mean, like that said, you can find some really fun stuff in those bundle boxes. Like, that's how I actually came across the whole series of US1 was at Flying Colors Comics the last time I was there. I found the first issue at Brian's, but then they had the complete collection at Flying Colors. So that was exciting. Nice. I recently found the, I think it was the complete series of Ren and Stimpy, you know, for 30 bucks, which was fun.
1: Uh, nice and in the bundle boxes they do like a full series so whatever you pull it's like the whole thing or
0: they'll do a full run of like a certain like you know set of issues nice
1: oh that's cool
0: that's what i always like to collect for is i like to collect for the things where it's like the fun stories or the weird moments in comic history or just kind of cool interesting moments and so you can find that stuff if you're looking for just fun stuff to read look at the they used to call them like the quarter bins, I think they're now like dollar bins where, mm. you know, they're, they're the issues themselves are kind of ratty or they're worthless. But you can find a lot of really fun stuff. You know, it's a great way to just enjoy comics if you're not collecting them to basically appreciate like your stock portfolio.
1: Very cool.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, I believe it is time for Brain Wrinkles, which is that one thing that is comics or comics adjacent that we just can't kick out of our noggin what is stuck in your gray matter this week
1: we've got another addition to the letter mafia
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i know exactly what you're talking about
1: so per dc canon tim drake our current robin has a whole mission where he gets to go save a longtime friend bernard from the villain du jour And during which point, Bernard confesses his feelings for Drake, whom he does not know is Robin. So he's, like, confessing his his love and hoping that he has a chance for love. And then it ends with them going on a date.
0: Yeah. Ah!
1: I love it!
0: Yeah, it's really interesting. He's
1: bisexual, canonically, everyone.
0: Yep. I'm very curious to see how this is going to play out in the future. I know a lot of right-wing shitheel comic sites and prevalent voices across the web are mad about this, and so I'm automatically overjoyed just to hear that this ruined their day. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Overall, the sentiment seems pretty positive to it as well, which I think speaks volumes about where we are now compared to when I started reading comics.
1: Agreed. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm pretty jazzed about it. I'm curious to see where they go with it, and... The one thing that's been really interesting is I saw the BBC was asking what this meant for movies, and I was kind of sitting there, and I'm like, it doesn't fucking matter. Like, they're not going to put it in a movie. No. (laughs) Because here's the thing that a lot of people don't quite get is that inclusivity for the LGBTQ plus community in movies is very fleeting because major movie studios these days have recognized the power of the international box office and they thus need to put in stuff that they can edit out for the Chinese and Russian and a handful of other smaller markets. So it was a big deal that in the last Star Wars movie, we get to see two guys kissing. It's a second and, you know, whatever, that's going to get edited out in certain regions because they want to be able to make their millions. Yeah arguably
1: yeah. edited out in the places that matter most <laughs> you know
0: yeah exactly but i am glad to see that we're getting more representation and especially bi people in particular are getting more representation in meaningful thoughtful ways
1: yes well and by men yeah there's always been that boring trope of like how amazing it is that women can be bisexual but it's often looked upon with disgust or completely disregarded when it comes to men and mm-hmm. i Quite frankly, there's no difference, people. <laughs> like, yep. it's, just, it's just people hating. And it's the toxic masculinity of, you know, if you're a man, you do certain things. And it's just like, come on, guys, you need to back the fuck off. Yeah. This is why you're as, as harmed as you are in your lives. Because you had all these <laughs> stupid-ass standards you had to stick with. and couldn't fucking talk about your feelings. And now you're just a ragey asshole. So here we are. Here we are. <laughs> How do you feel? Oh, you won't tell me. <laughs> <laughs> you don't even know.
0: Yeah. God.
1: See how much of that I cut out? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So, what about you? Um, <laughs> what's wrinkling around in your brain?
0: Yeah, you know, I can't believe how much I enjoyed The Suicide Squad. I keep on thinking about it. And I mean, I knew I was going to like it because I have yet to see anything by James Gunn that I haven't liked. I've been a fan of his since he did the movie Slither back in 2005-ish, which also had Nathan Fillion and Michael Rooker in it. Yeah, you know, he makes entertaining movies, and I was not prepared for some of the things that happen in the suicide squad it is absolutely wild what a course correction that movie is especially when you compare it to the first one it kind of reminded me of Shazam and Birds of Prey it was just this absolutely delightful blast of chaos and you know it was fun it was refreshing and if this is where we're going with the DCEU as opposed to a fucking Snyder Cut then I'm fully on board with this like sign me up for 10 more movies yeah just no more jokes, I mean, please
1: i'll actually watch this one with a yeah. you know no, probably sooner rather than later
0: sarah wants to watch it again
1: oh okay no that's a shining review then yes
0: yeah i'm really excited to talk with you about how batshit it is and like the stuff that they do with it which is really in a lot of ways it's really brave like what they did they also they kill off a lot of characters <laughs> like, I was not prepared for how many characters they were going to kill off. I knew they were going to kill off a couple, but like, yeah, it's, it is astounding the choices that they made.
1: Damn. Maybe, I don't know, everyone, we list up y'all, we might need to do an episode about this one.
0: I think that that would actually be pretty cool. Yeah. Especially we could talk about how they got started, how they appeared in comics, and then also how this movie in certain ways reminded me of. Their DC Animated Universe appearance.
1: Yes. Okay. I if if it compares to that, which you know, I love that.
0: Yeah. There's uh there's an episode of Justice League Unlimited called Task Force X, which is a really great Suicide Squad story. Oh, like I nice. yeah, that would be kind of fun. We should we should talk about that. But next time, our next episode, we are going to be starting something new. We're gonna do, well, I guess it's like a book club.
1: I would say it's a book club, yeah.
0: Yeah. So we're going to read through and talk about the Sandman series by Neil Gaiman, the core Sandman series, ahead of the Netflix TV show, which is coming out supposedly sometime this year. But I'm really excited about it. And we may actually have a couple of guests as guest hosts, or maybe just one. Who knows? We'll find out.
1: (laughs) To be decided.
0: (laughs) But yeah. We'll be back in two weeks, and until then, we'll see you in the stacks.
1: Thanks for listening to Tencent Takes. Accessibility is important to us, so text transcriptions of each of our published episodes can be found on our website.
0: This episode was hosted by Jessica Fraser and Mike Thompson, written by Mike Thompson, and edited by Jessica Fraser. Our intro theme was written and performed by Jared Emerson Johnson of Bay Area Sound. Our credits and transition music is Pursuit of Life by Evan McDonald and was purchased with a standard license from Premium Beat. Our banner graphics were designed by Sarah Frank, who you can find on Instagram as LookMomDraws.
1: If you'd like to get in touch with us, ask us questions, or tell us about how we got something wrong, please head over to 10centtakes.com or shoot an email to 10centtakes at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter. The official podcast account is Ten Cent Takes. Jessica is Jessica Witha, and Jessica is spelled with a K. And Mike is Van Sau, V A N S A U.
0: If you'd like to support us, be sure to download, rate, and review wherever you listen.
1: Stay safe out there,
0: and support your local comic shop.